In the previous chapters of Corinthians, Paul, he addressed problems within the church, uh, such as division, sexual immorality, uh, how to handle legal matters. He also told us that our bodies don't belong to ourselves, but our physical bodies belong to the Lord. And as we move into chapter 7, Paul's focus kind of shifts Um, typically what he'd been writing to this point is all things he'd heard about what was going on in the church. And now as we come into chapter 7, Paul is actually going to be answering questions that the church has written to him. It's it's pretty common as we study the scriptures, we realize, hey, the apostles wrote letters to the churches. But what we don't consider is that the churches wrote letters to the apostles. And that we don't have any of those letters. And we know that 1 Corinthians, much of it is written as a response to the letter or to the letters the church in Corinth would have written to the Apostle Paul. The catch is, we don't have the questions. So going forward here in 1 Corinthians, it's kind of like playing Jeopardy. You get the answer, and then you have to say what is, and try to figure out what the question is. So although we don't have the specific questions, and we're left to kind of speculate with that, what we will find is there's a lot of really rich and valuable information for for the life of the believer in the answers to the questions that Paul is answering. So as we pick up in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we're going to look at the first nine verses this morning, and we're going to hear Paul address single people, we're going to hear Paul address marriage, and we're also going to specifically hear Paul address sexual intimacy within the marriage. Now I know that just woke a few people up. They say, are you serious? We're in church. Are you going to talk about sexual intimacy within marriage? Absolutely we're going to. It might be a little PG-13 today, so if that offends you, I apologize. But we teach through the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And that is part and a very important part of our marriage that I believe far too many churches just kind of look past. You know, when you get married, they really don't give you a handbook on how to be married. They just marry you and off you go. Well, the Bible has a lot to say about marriage, and we're only going to see one part of it. So I don't want any elbows flying, no husbands elbowing wives, no wives elbowing husbands, none of that stuff going on. Everybody behave and act your age, no giggling like little kids. No, you guys wouldn't do that. Well, maybe you would. <laughs> Pick up with me. I'm going to read the first nine verses, and then we'll come back and talk about them. Now... Concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. And come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. For I wish that all men were even as I myself. But each... One has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. But if they cannot exercise exercise self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. We know that Paul's answering the questions because he tells us there in verse 1, now concerning the things of which you wrote to me. 
So he's answering their questions. And then he moves right into a statement that's rather bold. He says, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. This probably came as part of their original question. Apparently they were asking and they were concerned with sexual intimacy. And I believe they knew it was wrong to be, you know, they knew sexual immorality was wrong, but the question became about sexual intimacy within a marriage. What do we do when one spouse is saved and one spouse is not saved? How do we handle this? They had developed this idea that it would be more holy or more spiritual if you just refrained from sexual intimacy altogether. You see, when they looked out at their culture, they saw a culture filled that was a culture that was filled with sexual immorality. They saw a culture that was very sexually charged. And, and I think we could make that same comparison about our culture. When you look out at our culture, certainly the, the, the commercials on television, the way that some people dress, the way that things go, I think we could probably agree that we live in a sexually charged culture. Uh, you've all heard sex sells. It's, it's all part of our culture. We can't get very far without being tempted in some form or another sexually, and most of it is on purpose by the people or whoever it is that's putting it out there before us. So Paul this morning wants to address some of the issues, some of the intimacy issues within a marriage. Now, a closer look at the phrase, not to touch a woman, it reveals two possible meanings. Some commentators would suggest that this phrase means, means uh, not to touch a woman sexually, not to be involved in a sexual relationship. And Paul's speaking of somebody who is single there, not somebody who is married there. And as a, in fact, the New Living Translation translates it. It says, yes, it is good to abstain from sexual relations. But the other possibility that that phrase could simply just mean Paul's talking about marriage in general. So it could be that, uh, it, it could be that he's talking about not, it, it's good for a man to stay single or a woman to stay single and not get married. In fact, one lexicon that I used to prepare my studies with calls this phrase to touch a woman an idiom, which, which means to marry a woman. It's just, it's just, it's representative of something that says it's just, it's just, it's good not to get married. It's better to be single. And, and sometimes married people would agree with that. Married go, I wish I was single. And single people go, I wish I was married. You're not going to be happy one or the other either way. Marriage isn't going to make you happy or joyful and singleness isn't going to make you happy or joyful. So what we see here is this is being translated, and, and since marriage is supposed to lead to sexual intimacy, we don't need to get concerned about which one it really is. It doesn't really make that big of a difference. But because of the sexual immorality surrounding Corinth and the Corinthians, they had developed this belief as they looked out over their culture that sex or sexual intimacy was bad, and it began to be a blanket statement. So even within marriage, they began to withhold or abstain from it in a sense of trying to be more spiritual, trying to draw, draw closer to God, trying to, you know, you'd have one member, one spouse get saved and the other one, and they would refrain from sexual intimacy with the other spouse. And Paul's seeking this morning to correct that way of thinking. Now, would we still think like that today? Sure we would. There's, there, there's religious groups, there's Christian groups that would say that sexual intimacy between a husband and a wife is simply for procreation. There should be no pleasure from it whatsoever. That's in contradiction to what Paul is going to tell us this morning about hearing, hearing, hearing God's word. Paul answers some of their concerns. He says it's good for a man not to touch a woman, but then he puts a great big but, or he wants to add some things. He says nevertheless in verse 2. It's good for a man not to touch a woman, nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. 
You see, Paul would say, you're right. The culture, it is sexually charged. It is sexual immorality does abound in all directions. And it's for this reason that Paul says, I want you guys to protect the intimate relationship between a husband and a wife. You guys that are married need to guard this relationship. You need to protect it. You need to to hold it carefully, not just let everything around you influence it. He makes the statement, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. You would think that would be kind of obvious, wouldn't you? But in their culture, he wants to make it clear. He doesn't want to be misunderstood. He's not vying for polygamy here. It's one man and one woman, and that's what the Scripture's saying. He's not saying that you should get married to simply avoid the sexual culture either. He's not simply saying, well, you're tempted, just go get married. But in light of what's taking on around you, in light of the temptation that can go on around somebody, he's saying you need to get married, and it's absolutely appropriate for a husband and a wife to enjoy sexual intimacy together. When they're married, it is absolutely appropriate. Paul is not speaking against that in one, one way. Now, before we go any further, I need to make sure that you guys understand something. Paul here in this letter is answering questions. He's not seeking to answer everything or to speak about everything on marriage. He, he, he's, he's just answering the questions that are asked to him. If you want to know all that Paul has to say on marriage and all that the scripture has to say on marriage, I'm going to give you a few passages. You can jot them down if you want. Ephesians 5, and 23 is where Paul will exalt marriage and proclaim Christ's relationship with us as being a, a picture of marriage. Hebrews chapter 13, 4 is where Paul assures us that sexual intimacy in marriage is pure and it's holy. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 4, he lists those that forbid marry as, as apostate. So if, they're, if you're forbidding marriage, that, that's apostasy. And when you consider the totality of Paul's teaching, there's no contradiction, but this is by no means going to cover all of the issues in marriage. He's simply speaking this morning to sexual intimacy and to intimacy in general in the marriage. Generally speaking, Genesis chapter 2 is right. It is good that a man should not be alone. Yet under certain circumstances, in certain specific cases, 1 Corinthians 7 is also right. It's good for a man not to touch a woman. And there are cases where it's good to remain single, just as Paul will address later in this chapter. So there are those people who, are, who have a calling, it's a gift of being single, and they should continue on that gift, and they shouldn't seek to be married. And there are those people who don't have that calling, and they should seek or should prepare themselves or, or be ready to get married when the Lord brings that mate to them that he has, he has for them. Because sexual immorality is abounding in their culture, Paul goes on to explain what the attitude and the mindset of the married couple should be. He wants to talk about how the husband should be seeing the wife and how the wife should be seeing the husband. Look at verse 3. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. This verse is talking about the husband meeting the needs of the wife and the wife meeting the needs of the husband. And certainly it refers to sexual intimacy, but it also refers and it goes beyond just that. You see, it's just there's other needs that have to be met within a relationship. And this is where elbows kind of start to fly, so don't do it. I'm watching you guys. None of this stuff, okay? Paul says it's good for a man not to touch a woman outside of marriage. But within marriage, he says a husband 
has the duty, has the obligation to render to his wife the affection, the affection that's due to her. And a wife has to render the affection, same thing, the affection that's due to her husband. It's wrong for them to withhold this affection from one another. But what does the word affection mean? Let's get a little more detail here. Rob, what does it mean? Well, certainly it implies sexual intimacy, but I also believe Paul uses the word that we translate as affection. If you're reading the King James, it's benevolence uh, to mean the husband is to give the wife the intimacy that she desires and the wife is to give her husband the intimacy that he desires. You see, Paul is addressing here, it's not just the physical act, it's the mindset. It's the idea that uh, the importance of giving rather than receiving. So often a relationship is about what can I get? And that Paul's saying that's not the way that it should be in a marriage. The marriage should be about giving, not about receiving. It's about I owe you instead of you owe me. That's opposite of what the world would say. The world would say it's all about me. I, I want what I want. Make me happy. You need, to, you need to find someone who makes you happy. You see, when you look at marriage from that perspective, it's going to change the spouse you pick. Because I have to find somebody that I want to make happy. I'm going to serve that person. I'm going to meet their needs. Not are they going to meet my needs. Marriage is giving of oneself to another. Not taking someone for themselves. You see the difference between the way the culture would think and the way that, you, the way that a believer should think. You see, a non-Christian would look at a spouse and go, I'm looking for a spouse. And my spouse has to, have, has to be good-looking, has to be funny, has to be whatever, whatever characteristics they would list. That's what the non-Christian world would say. That's who I'm looking for. When I find that person, I'm getting married. But Paul's saying it different. He said, you look for someone who you can meet their needs. Who's going, you know, you got to look for someone you're going to be able to live with, someone who, who you're going to cherish, someone who you're going to be able to meet their needs. It's not, it's not that simple. You have, to, you have to consider someone else as opposed to you. But here's the problem. When we talk about rendering this affection due one another, man's mind goes one way and a woman's mind goes another. We're not the same. We think differently. Have you realized that? Of course you have. We're, men and women are different. So which is it? Men, we have an obligation to give our wives the affection she desires the affection she desires not the affection we think she desires we don't treat her the way that we think she wants to be treated we have to treat her the way that she wants to be treated but how do you know what that is well you just said we're different how could i possibly know what my wife wants why don't you ask her just ask her she'll tell you she'll talk for days about it all you have to do is say honey what is it that you really want from this marriage she's going to go on for a week you could say, all right, give me the top three things you want out of this marriage. She's going to go like 98, 99, 100. That's just the way it is. If you really have a desire to provide your wife with what she wants, all you have to do is ask her. And she will tell you exactly how to do that. And she'll let you know if you're not doing it right either. She'll help you with this process. But ladies, you have the same obligation to provide your husband with the affection that he desires. Please don't think this is just sexual intercourse affection. This is emotional, it's physical, it's, it all rolls in together. It's not just intimacy. You ladies have to find out what it is that your husband desires. How do you find out what he wants? You say, well, I already know, he makes it quite obvious. Ask him. Have him sit down, have him tell you. 
You know, I do this exercise with, when I, when I sit down with a couple to do marriage counseling, one of the first things I do is I hand, them, hand the husband a piece of paper, and I hand the wife a piece of paper. And I say, I want you to list two columns. I want one column to be the top three things you want out of your marriage. And I want the next column to be the top three things you think your wife wants out of the marriage. I do the same thing with her. You list the top three things that you want out of the marriage, and then you list the top three things that she wants out of the marriage. And you know what happens when you compare the columns? He thinks she wants A, B, and C, but she doesn't have any interest in A, B, and C. She wants D, E, and F, whatever they are. So he's striving to provide her to meet her, her needs through giving her A, B, and C, and she's going, that's not what I want. He, he's working his tail off trying to make more money so she can have more stuff, and she goes, that's not, I just want more time with him. The wife's going, I, I don't want the money, I just want the time. I want to I go on a picnic. I want to hang out and have lunch. And he's going, well, no, I'm working 60 hours a week trying to provide for the family, and I'm doing this. And she goes, well, that's not what I want. You know, and, and, and what you realize is the husband's working for the wrong things. And the same thing happens with the wife. She thinks that he wants these three things, and he's going, that's not what I want. It's real simple. This is what, you know, this is, these are the things that are important to me in my marriage. But here's what you have to understand. All of these things, this list, it's going to be different in every marriage. You're going to have to figure out what it is that the husband needs the wife to do. And you're going to have to figure out what the wife is that needs the husband to do. I'm going to share a quick story with you. When I first got married, I had to learn all this stuff. So I've been married now 20 years and my marriage is great. But I didn't realize my wife wanted to talk to me. I know that's strange, right? I didn't know. I mean, she really wanted to talk to me like we, we had. She wanted to come home from work and because we were both working at that time. And she wanted to sit down and have a conversation about everything that happened at her day. And I, I didn't want to do that. I was working as a police officer. She was working as a physical therapist. And I would go to work. I was working in a, in a narcotics team. I was making arrests. I was doing all kinds of stuff and, you know, very uh, lots of action, all kinds of stuff. And I would come home. I want to forget work. I wanted to leave work at work. I didn't want to bring it home with me. And she wants to come home and she wants to tell me how her boss isn't being fair. Uh, somebody said this at work and somebody said that at work. And I, I realized early on, I didn't want to hear it. I didn't want to, I mean, I'm just being honest. I didn't want, it doesn't make, I don't, I don't want to talk about work. Let's leave work at work. But then I realized something. And we had, to, we had to figure, somebody showed us this. Somebody taught us this. We started doing what we call couch time. Couch time. We'd come home from work and we'd sit on the couch together and we'd talk. And I said to her, I said, honey, I said, I really want to listen to what you have to say, but my mind's going to wander. You have to, you have to help me with this. You have to bring me back. If I start to wander, just bring me back because I really want to do this. So over the, as time went by, we would do this couch time and I would come in and I would listen to how her day at work went. And this happened with that patient and that happened with that patient. And she said, how did your day go? And I said, oh, my day went fine. And she would talk more about her day and, and on and on and on and on. And here's what I realized. That's what she needed from me. She needed to make the emotional connection with me. She needed to hear, she needed to talk to me. She needed to, you know, that, that was something that she drastically needed from me was that, that communication. And now even today I've learned, I've got to sit and talk with my wife. You know, men, we have this idea of, you know, I told you I loved you when you got married. If anything changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> we can't do that. You might have a wife that needs to hear, I love you. You know, you get up in the morning, hey, good morning, honey, I love you. You go to work, good morning, I, all right, goodbye, I love you. You come home, I love you. And you go to bed, and she looks over and goes, do you love me? <laughs> that, but then you have to meet that. If that's what she needs, that's what you have to meet her with. That, that's what he's saying here. You have the obligation to meet those needs. You see, too often it comes to, as guys, let me say this. As guys, we like to, there's certain verses we have memorized, you know, when it comes to our marriage. We have, wives submit to your husbands. We got that one down, right? Honey, Ephesians 5, I got that one. We, we, got, we got Matthew 7, judge not, 
lest you be judged. Got that one down too. And now we're going to add this one. You know, you've got to meet my needs. That's not the way that it's supposed to work. You see, as a husband, I'm not called to be the police officer in the family. As a wife, they're not called to be the police officer. It's not the wife's job to make sure the husband does this. And it's not the husband's job to make sure the wife does this. You see, it's the wife's job to look at the scripture and go to the Lord and say, Lord, how do I do this? And then it's her job to meet it. And the Lord will hold her accountable for that, not the husband. If you start, husbands, if you start telling your wife, you heard what the pastor said, you've got to meet my needs. It's not going to go well for you. And, and women, if you say, you heard what the pastor said, you need to sit on the couch and talk to me. He's been doing that for 20 years with his wife. It's, it's not going to go well for you. It doesn't work that way. You've got to figure out what your wife needs and what your husband needs, and you have to work to meet it. Don't be trying to enforce God's word on your wife or on your husband. It's, not your, it's your job to give her or him the affection that's due to her, not making sure they're giving the affection that's due to you. You understand the difference? Let the Lord handle the enforcing of these things. Now, I think it's interesting that Paul even has to have this conversation. You know, I mean, it, it's kind of awkward. You would think, and I can only imagine the question they actually asked. You would think that the whole sexual side of marriage would take care of itself, right? I mean, why do we have to have this conversation? It, it seems a little bit ironic in a sense. You know, it seems a little bit strange. How come when you're dating, you can't keep your hands off one another? And then once you get married, it seems like intimacy kind of drifts away and doesn't become so important anymore, especially if it's a Christian couple. Now, I've, I've married some Christian folks, and, and, you, and I've been around a number of Christian couples, and when they're young, they're, they're trying to be pure, they're trying to be holy, they, but they're, they're so drawn to the one they're going to marry, they can't keep their hands off one another, and then all of a sudden, once they get married, it's like things are, are not that as, what, what happened? What, 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 what's the difference? What, what happened? Have you noticed that? Let me explain to you what's going on. When a Christian couple are dating, they know what's coming. They're trying to keep themselves pure and to honor the Lord. They're trying to keep themselves away from another. They're waiting for the day that they get married. Who wants to break that up? Satan does. He wants them to get together beforehand. Why? Because we learned early they're going to be stealing from themselves. They're going to be taking the very thing that God says, I want to give to this husband and this wife. I want to give them an unpolluted, forget what the world says about intimacy. I want to give them a beautiful relationship. And Satan says, no, no, you can't wait. Do it before you get married. And then once they get married, what does Satan do? No, you don't have time for that. You don't feel good. There's too much going on. There's always another reason. There's no need for that. Why? Because he knows it's the very thing that's going to reconnect them. It's the very thing that's going to bring them back together. When they're dating, God says no sexual intimacy, but Satan wants to steal the gift of intimacy that God wants to give them. When they're married, God says enjoy. It's going to keep you closer together if you're focused on your spouse and not on yourself. Go enjoy it. And Satan wants to keep them from experiencing that intimacy also. That's why it's always backwards. That's why, it's, that's why you can't keep your hands off a spouse before you get married. And after you get married, it seems to drift away if you're not careful. Satan wants to make, it a, make, make intimacy selfish. He wants to make it one-sided. It's all about you. And Paul and the Lord here are saying, no, no, it's not about you. It's about you giving, not you receiving. It's about you receiving, about you, you giving yourself to someone else. One commentator wrote this. He said, contrary to the wisdom of the world, which prescribes separation... For ailing marriages, the principle of the word is that rather than moving out to find oneself, 
to discover what one wants or to determine what's wrong, husbands and wives are to give themselves to each other because intimacy binds people uniquely. I've talked about it before, but your sexual intimacy, whether it's inside or outside of marriage, links you to that person for the rest of your life. The stories, the memories, they don't ever go away. The baggage, if it's before marriage, it'll, it'll be carried into your marriage. And just to make things crystal clear, Paul goes on to say this in verse 4. He wants to make sure you guys understand. He said, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. These obligations are, are set in concrete. It could be said that the wife's body doesn't belong to her, but it belongs to him. And it could be said that the husband's body doesn't belong to him, but it belongs to her. It doesn't say that his body is his and her body is his. Or her body is hers and his body is hers. You see, it says they belong to each other. They belong to each other. And there's an important note I have to make here. This verse should never be used to justify a husband's abusing or coercing of his wife or a wife's abusing or coercing of her husband. It's not a verse that says, I can do whatever I want with you. It's not that at all. Because the truth is, if the man were to say something like that, the wife would then say, well, your body is mine and it doesn't want that. It doesn't work that way. It's, it's not meant to be something that's coercing. It's meant to be this picture of giving of oneself to the other. While her body may belong to the husband, the husband's body belongs to her. And Christ dwells in them both if they are believers in Jesus Christ. And you would never want to do anything to defile Christ or even your own body. Don't make the mistake of believing my body is mine and her body is mine. It doesn't work that way. Your body belongs to your spouse, all of it. And you should be focusing on her needs or on his needs more so than your own. Can you imagine how marriage would change if that were true? If wives would focus on what their husbands need, and again, I'm not speaking just sexually, please don't misunderstand that. But if wives would focus on what their husbands need, and if husbands would focus on what their wives need, on meeting the emotional attachment, meeting, meeting everything that their wife needs from them, can you imagine how many marriage problems would just take care of themselves? But here's what happens. You go, well, all right, Rob, well, you don't understand my marriage. That's great that you've got a marriage that's, that's doing good, but here, here's the problem. You don't, you're not married to my wife, or you're not married to my husband. I'll do what you're saying when he does what you're saying. That's not the way it works. You do what, you're, what, what, what the word's saying because God called you to, regardless of what he or she is doing. You see, it's your obedience before the Lord that's, that's at stake here. Will you serve the Lord in the way that he calls you to, which is giving of yourself to your spouse? Or is it conditional, I'll do it when he does it, or I'll do it when she does it? What, what, play it out. What if just one half of a marriage, just one half says, I'm going to serve God wholeheartedly with this marriage, regardless of what he does? Do you know how that marriage would change for the better? It's oftentimes, that's the very thing that will bring, bring the other spouse around. I can't believe how, 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 why are you doing this? Why are you living it? What, what happened? Well, I just want to serve the Lord. And I learned in church that, it's, that I need to be, give more of myself to you. And I need to concern myself more with your needs. And, and, and I want to meet your needs. And I, I want to, can you imagine the, the, the face that it would have on the other, the other spouse going, this is not the same person. This is great. It would cause them to want to do the same thing. Somebody has to start somewhere. Look what he says in verse 5. 
He says, do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. It seemed as though they were having one spouse in Corinth get saved and the other spouse was remaining in the world and the Christian spouse was trying to abstain from intimacy in a way of hoping to make themselves more spiritual and now Paul's rejecting that. He's saying that you shouldn't be abstaining from intimacy in a marriage. You shouldn't be depriving yourself. But he says it's okay for, for one reason, for a certain reason. He says if the Number one, he says, the problem could lead to sexual immorality. He goes, but there are times in a Christian marriage where you need to seek the Lord. Where you might set aside a time that's pre-planned, pre-calculated. We're saying, for this period of time, we're going to separate ourselves. We're not going to be together intimately because we're going to be fasting and praying, looking for an answer in something. We're going to be able to seek the Lord. And Paul says, that's okay. He said, but make it agreeable by both parties. Make sure that you're doing it for the Lord. And he says, limited time. It's for a season. A consent for a time, a a small amount of time there. Verse 5 says you should not deprive one another in sexual intimacy, and it should never be used also as a bargaining chip. Maybe you've heard uh, situations or circumstances, and in my my time as marriage counseling, I've heard all kinds of things when it comes to this. And, you know, well, I'll do that if you do this. Or if you do this, then I'll give you what you want. Or that's not what it's for. You see, what, it, what, what Paul is trying to show us here is that God made a beautiful thing to bring a husband and wife closer together. He doesn't want it polluted with things from the world, from the outside, and he wants them to enjoy it together in marriage the way that he asked them for. I can tell you if there's sexual intimacy struggles in a marriage, oftentimes there's other problems going on outside. There's either been adultery, there's been pornography introduced, there's been lots of problems that come in that that bring that in. God can work through all those and he can bring you through all that. He will and he has in many, many cases, but you have to be willing to deal with them and you have to be willing to handle them and and, and address them appropriately. Because all of those things that happen outside of our marriage that we bring into our marriage are all baggage that we have to now lug around for the rest of our life. So the Lord will deal with those things. And he says there's a time to refrain, but usually not, not too long, not too often. He says, I don't want you to fall prey to your lack of self-control, to your lack of self-control. You'd think it would just be the opposite, wouldn't you? But because you lack self-control, he's saying you need to go ahead and be involved in this with your wife. And look at verse 6. Because I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. Paul's not referring to marriage itself as a concession. Paul's presenting the possibility of temporarily abstaining from intimacy within the marriage as a concession, but only when the stipulations are met. And he goes on to say in verse 7, For I wish that all men were even as I myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. If you're single and we've been talking about marriage and you go, I'm tired of hearing it, well, now Paul's going to talk to you. Because the question here, the thing that he's bringing up, when he says, I wish that all men were even as I myself, he's talking about being single. He's talking about singleness. He's talking about not being married. And there's some question as to Paul's marital status. Was he a widower? Did his wife pass away? Was he divorced or was he ever married? And while the scriptures don't give us a a clear-cut answer, there are some clues that lead us to a pretty good conclusion. In Philippians chapter 3, 
Paul said this. He said, according to Jewish law, he was blameless. According to Jewish law, he was blameless, which means he had kept the law to the best of his ability. It would have been very hard for him to make that statement if he'd never been married. The Jew, to the Jew, there were seven people God didn't accept. And at the very top of the list was a man who had never been married. They held family in high regard, and marriage was important to them. The second was a man with no children. Of the 613 Jewish laws, repopulating the earth was at very near the top. It was important to them. Wives, children, it was very, very important to them. And we also know that in Acts chapter 7, Paul was a member of the Sanhedrin, or the Jewish governing body. Uh, To sit on the Jewish Supreme Court, you had to be married and have children. So we know that through these scriptures that Paul likely was married. Uh, He may have still been married. We're not sure. But it's possible that his wife died. We don't know that for sure. It's possible that his wife left him after he converted to Christianity. That's very possible as well. And we don't have a clear-cut answer on which one happened. You can choose whichever one you want to believe. But either way, Paul is speaking from a position of experience, not a a hypothetical position. So the reason that's important is because when he's talking about marriage, we believe he's someone who either was married and still married or had been married. He's speaking from experience, not speaking from as a guy who'd been single his whole life trying to give you marriage advice, because that usually won't work very well. Just like you need someone who's experienced it. How he got there doesn't really matter. What Paul says is he's single now, and being single, it was good. Why would singleness be good? Why would it be good? You know, I I thought singleness was bad. No, Paul says this. This is Paul's heart. I can serve the Lord anytime I want. I am free to do what the Lord calls me to do. I don't have to worry about my wife and my kids. I don't, they're not, they're not, they're, they're not, they don't interfere with God's plan. I don't mean interfere in a bad way, but if someone's married, guess what? It's a lot harder to pack up your family and go across the country for the Lord than it is to do it as a single person. As a single person, you can go anywhere you want, find a part-time job, make life, live in a van, do whatever it is you want to do and travel around. You put a wife and a couple of kids, it's not happening that way. I just spent 12 days in a motorhome with six people, and that was rough. It, it, you just, you just, it, moving people from one, if you, have, if you have a wife and kids, moving from one place to the next just to go to dinner sometimes can be an hour. You know, it, it, there's much more involved in doing something like that. Paul says, as a single guy, I just pack up and leave. I can just go wherever I want. Remember, remember when you were younger, and then maybe some of you still do, I, I want to go somewhere, I just get in the car and go. It doesn't work that way once you've got a job and a career and a wife and kids and a house payment. And once you have all that stuff, you don't have that anymore. Paul says it's good to be single. But the reason it's good is because you can serve the Lord without having to worry about somebody else. And he'll talk more about that as he goes. Look at what he says in verse 8. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. But... If they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Paul says if you're single and you can remain single, regardless of how you got there, do it. It's okay. Don't, you don't, don't feel like you, you're not any less because you haven't been married or you're not married or you're not going to get married again, whatever the situation is. It'll give you more time to serve the Lord and you won't have to worry about anybody else. It, is, it frees you up. On the other hand, he says, if you're single, and you go, man, it's kind of tough being single. You know, this, you know, talk about self-control and intimacy. It's, it's nice for you married couples, but what about us single people? Paul says, you need to get married. You need to, you need to get, it's okay. Find a spouse. Get married. Go ahead. 
go right ahead. You don't have that. You'll, if you're supposed to be single, you'll have the calling. You'll know. Okay? If you're not supposed to be single, you'll know that as well. It'll, you'll, you'll know I, I want somebody else in my life. But the question becomes, what do I do? Do I just run out and find the first person available? No, of course not. What a mess that would be, huh? Do I find someone like the world says, where I just find someone who's going to meet all my needs? No, that doesn't end usually very well either. What do I do? Will you prepare yourself. Prepare yourself for marriage. Make sure you're ready to be married. Make sure you're serving the Lord. Make sure the Lord's working in your heart. Make sure you have the right perspective on marriage and what it means to be a husband or what it means to be a wife. Make sure you find somebody that you can come alongside and you want to give yourself to. You see, the world would say, find someone that you want that you want. The Lord would say, find someone that you can give yourself to. Would that change who your spouse was? Nope, don't raise your hands. Some of you might go, well, if I knew that when I got married, I'd have picked somebody different. You know, you might have. Maybe not. The Lord, now, I can say when I got married, I picked my spouse for very selfish reasons. Not that we didn't get along great, and it was, but you know, I really wasn't a believer, and I was just kind of wanted what made me happy, and we got along great, and we had a lot of things in common, and we had a lot of fun together, and that's, that's why we picked. But I never looked at my wife and, as a, before I married her and said, well, gee, what's it going to be like when I you know, have to give myself to her? And what kind of needs do I have? To, what, you know, what are her needs? What is she looking for in a husband? And I want to meet those needs. It was all about me. And, and she would probably tell you the same thing. It was all about her. But fortunately, God's changed all that in us. For those young people that are, that are not married, they have the ability to do this the right way. Praise the Lord. What an amazing opportunity to, to, to do marriage the way that God prescribed it to be. But you have to get prepared to be married. I had a friend once who wanted to get married, a single guy. All, all he talks about wanting to get married. I said, are you ready to get married? He goes, yeah, I'm ready to get married. I go, you got to get a job. He goes, what do you need a job for? I go, because you're going to have a wife. Nobody's going to marry you without a job. Well, I'll get, I'll get a job after I get a wife. It doesn't work that way. You know, you, you have to get yourself prepared physically, but you also need to prepare spiritually. Am I even in a place spiritually where I'm ready? You know, what Paul's telling us here in this passage, in these nine verses, is... Intimacy in marriage, sexual intimacy in marriage is very, very important, and it can't be overlooked. If it's being overlooked, you're actually doing damage to the marriage, and you're allowing for opportunities for sexual immorality to creep in. And Paul's saying, listen, this needs to be dealt with. It's something the church needs to handle. I want to answer this question as cleanly as possible. And simply put, he's telling you your body is not your own. It belongs to your spouse. And he's telling the people, single people, listen, if you can stay single, stay single. Go right ahead. There's nothing wrong with it. Don't think of it as a black mark on you. But if if you need to get married, then get ready to get married. And and do what you need to do to get married. It's better to be married than to burn with passion is is the way he closes it. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now, a couple of closing remarks. Don't go home and tell your husband or your wife, listen, if we just had more intimacy, our marriage would be fine. If you would just do this or that, if we could just spend more time, more intimate time together, then every, all of our problems would disappear. That's not the case. That's not what Paul's saying here. The bigger picture is what Paul's saying is, If you would focus on your spouse and your spouse would focus on you more, then things would begin to change. It's not just about a physical act that Paul's talking about here. And again, when it talks about giving them the affection that they need, it's both physical and it's both emotional. And you as a husband or a wife have an obligation to find out what it is they want from you. 
if you're dating somebody, I would ask them, what are the three things you want out of marriage or the five things or whatever they want? And I would see how they line up, whether or not you can even provide those things, whether or not you're interested in providing those things for them. You might go, no, that's, that's, not, that's not what I want. And I would encourage you that if you're serious about making some changes in your marriage, that you would go home and you would ask your husband and your wife, hey, what are the three things or what are the five things that you want out of this marriage? And you might find out that you're working in one department and he or she is going, that's not really what I want. You're spending all this energy exerting over here going, all I really want is this. All I really want is to be right here. You see, if you're serious, you're going to kind of go to your spouse and ask those questions. What is it that you want from the marriage? Are you getting what you want? Are, 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 am, am I providing? For, do you feel like I'm meeting your needs physically and emotionally? Are you willing to ask that hard question? Because you know what they might say? Nope, you're not. They might say no. And you have to be willing to go, you know what? Okay, how, how do I change? How can I, how can I change this? If you could just start that communication, you know what the Lord could do with the marriage? Just imagine what could grow out of just a, a, a 30-minute conversation. If you could just say, listen, what can I do better in the marriage? However you want to phrase it, what could I do better? What could he do better? What could she do better? And then all of a sudden you begin to focus on doing those things. Do you think your marriage would change for the better? I bet it would. I bet it would. And it'd also be lining up with more godly marriage. Marriage is not about giving. It's about, not about receiving. It's about giving. It's about giving of yourself to someone else. It's not about what can my spouse do for me. It's what can I do for my spouse. How can I meet their needs? What do they need me to do? Marriage is the giving of oneself to another. It's not the taking of someone else to myself. Do you see your marriage as giving of yourself to your spouse? If not, hopefully your eyes were open this morning to what the Lord would have to say. If you're single and you can stay single, praise the Lord. Be there. Serve the Lord with it. Don't waste your singleness. Paul would say, get busy serving God. You have all the time in the world to do it. If you can't get single, then I would say get prepared to get married. Make sure you're doing all that you're doing. Prepare yourself mentally. Prepare yourself spiritually. Prepare yourself physically. Make sure you're ready. Make sure you have the right perspective on it. Let's pray. Father, as we come across scriptures like this in your word, uh, we, we see clearly that your word contradicts what the popular culture would say. You know, popular culture would encourage us to find someone that makes us happy and find someone that makes us, you know, that meets our needs where your word is pointing in a different direction saying we need to find someone whose needs that we can meet. And that'll bring us true happiness. Lord, the truth is if we depend on somebody else, they'll always let us down. But Lord, if we do things your way and we depend on you, it's proven to last forever. So I just pray, Lord, for the marriages that are here. Pray for those that perhaps will get married, for the single people to find the the right mate. I pray for those marriages that are here to be strengthened and encouraged by this. I pray that as they maybe take a 180 degree turn on the way they see themselves, they would leave here with the heart to meet their spouse's needs, both from the man and the woman, Lord. And would you give us the wisdom in determining what those needs are? Lord, may it not be a, a Sunday message that goes away on Monday, but Lord, may this be one of those life-changing things that rings true throughout the week and throughout the months and throughout the coming years where our focus shifts from meeting our own needs to meeting that of our husband or our wife. Lord, I just pray to see what you would do with that in a marriage. I believe you would reconcile. I believe you would restore. I believe you would build love back. I would believe you would build intimacy that far surpasses what the world could have. So do that in our marriages, if you would. In Jesus' name, amen.